0: I don't know if you know this, but Donna, Steve, and I used to live in this house right on the corner, and uh, it was before they built that big house around it, and we were happy in our 900-square-foot little ranch, and we had a great time growing up, and it was so fun watching Steve and watching him grow up, and we had a wonderful time there. One of the funny things about Steve when he was growing up is if he really liked something, he would want to do it again. And so um, I would carry him around on my arm, and we'd walk around the house chasing flies. And I'd get one, and I'd sneak up on it, and I'd be holding him, and I'd go, BAM! And that fly would then he'd giggle on and go, again? <laughs> and we'd go hunt for another one. Or one of the things, I can't believe I used to do this. I used to take him, and I'd throw him up in the air and 10 seconds later I catch him and he go (laughs) again? (laughs) and I can't believe he survived that (laughs) and sometimes he would watch something really awesome on the on the TV a good movie or Barney or something like that and was over he would go again? (laughs) well at that time we had a pretty nice color TV and we had one of those first era surround sounds and uh, But it was pretty good. And so we liked to watch movies with that subwoofer. We, you hear the bass and you hear the sound all around. And one of the favorite movies that we had when Steve was growing up was Lion King. And every time we watched it, in an end he would go, again? <laughs> I think once we watched it three times in a row. So anyway, Lion King was a wonderful movie. He had great animation fantastic voices, like James Earl Jones. They had a good storyline, and it was centered around a lion family. Now, the king of the lions was Mufasa, and he was the dad. And then his, his mate, I guess you would call her, was Sarabi, and their little cub was Simba, and who one day would take over as king. However, Scar, Mufasa's evil brother, wanted to be king himself. And so he lured Simba into this stampede of wildebeest and used that opportunity to kill Mufasa. Well, Simba blamed himself for his father's death. And so he ran away because he was afraid he was going to get in trouble. So he exiled himself to this jungle that was a long way away. And there he adopted this new lifestyle. It was called Hakuna Matata. And that's, he learned that from Timon and Pumbaa. And that means, hey, avoid your problems instead of dealing with them in a really selfish way. And I think scripture calls it, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay. So in Simba's absence and in Mufasa's death, the Pride Lands fell apart under Scar's evil rule. Well, sometime later, Nala, who was Simba's childhood girlfriend, she came all the way to find Simba and to beg him to return to the Pride Land. She wanted him to reestablish his birthright as king and to restore the land which had fallen apart. But still feeling guilty over the death of his father, Simba refused. One night, however, Simba had a vision of his father. A cloud parted in the sky, and he saw his father, Mufasa, and he heard him. And Mufasa said, you have forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the symbol of life. Well, Simba said, how can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. And here's the line Mufasa said. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. I love that line. And so Simba and Nala went home, where he ended up fighting Scar, and he defeated him, and he established his rightful place as king, the king of the Pride Lands, and the kingdom was restored. Again? Life is tough. Like the Pride Lands under the rule of Scar, the world has gone crazy, insane, and everything seems to be turned upside down. There's so much conflict around us, and things seem to be tearing us apart. We have trouble at home, fighting, money troubles, health problems, child abuse, spousal abuse, Adultery, divorce, we have trouble at school, bullying, bad grades, drugs, dropouts, we have trouble at work, low pay, no raises, too many hours, being passed over for promotions, being laid off, you name it, we all deal with it, Pastor Dave called it, trouble, trouble, trouble. And that's because we're all living in a sin-plagued world that's crushing in on all of us. You know, we all have our own set of problems. Our crosses to bear and our troubles. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed. It's so easy to feel lost in all of it that we just don't know what to do. And maybe we just want to give up. And maybe like Simba, we just want to run away so we don't have to deal with any of it at all. Hakuna Matata. Well in times like these perhaps it would be good for us to take a line from Lion King and to repeat it to ourselves. Remember who you are. Well this morning that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember who you are and then we're going to remember whose you are and then we're going to remember where you're going and hopefully this will help us out in the midst of our troubles and will help us see God's sustaining grace through it all so let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 to 18 and you'll find it in the pew Bible on page 965 2nd Corinthians 4 7 through 18 let's turn together starting at verse 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his, into his presence, for it is all for your sake. So as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of God. I think that the main point that Paul lays out for us here can be summed up in verse 16. And it's something that everyone here wants. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And this is something that we could all relate to. We want to feel new strength, new hope, new zeal, new vitality each day. We don't want to lose heart. We want to be renewed. If we could find a a way to make that happen day after day, we're in, right? Wouldn't that be great? It sure would beat feeling down and defeated and empty and discouraged. So let's tear into these verses, and I think we're going to find that Paul encourages us to remember who we are, whose we are, and where we're going. Let's start again at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay... To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now one word that really sticks out here to me is the word treasure. What is this treasure? But in order to figure that out, we have to get the context of what Paul is writing. And so therefore, we have to go back to verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness... Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, this is the treasure. It's priceless. The most precious and most valuable thing in all the world. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, where is this treasure? This treasure has shown in our hearts. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is in our hearts. And Paul calls us jars of clay. That's us. We are the jars of clay. And we have this treasure in jars of clay. But this is one of those paradoxes in scripture. And that's why Paul uses the word but. We have this treasure, but it's in jars of clay. And that begs the question, why would anyone keep a treasure in a jar of clay? It seems to me that jars of clay are fragile. They wear out and they break. But Paul gives us the answer in the very next phrase. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So God has chosen to place this treasure, his treasure, the light, in our hearts inside these jars of clay so that he is glorified and not us. It's God's strength, God's power, God's will that sustains us through this life, especially in the midst of trials and tribulations that we all deal with and that Paul is about to describe in the next section. In our weakness, in our fragile lives, God gets all the glory. It is his light that shines out of our hearts in this dark world. So, remember who you are. You are all children of light, children of the day. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.5. Those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we are the children of light. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because God's power is exalted in our weakness. And this is what Paul develops in the next verses, 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. Here we see a list of contrasts that give us hope. We see our suffering in the world, and we see our suffering with God's help. And Paul says, we are afflicted in every way. But with God's help, we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but with God's help, we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but with God's help, we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but thank God we are not destroyed. Paul is glorifying God here for sustaining him through all this suffering and for not letting him become overcome. We too can glorify God for his sustaining power in our lives, for even in all of our sufferings, we are not overcome. 1 John 4.4 reminds us, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so remember who you are. You are children of God, and remember whose you are. You belong to God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, because God sustains us and does not let us become overcome. Look at verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So here Paul further describes his condition and our condition. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. And I think this is another description of the decaying of our bodies. Let's face it. We're getting older. Anyone here relate? (laughs) And some of us more noticeably than others. I look in the mirror and I just cannot believe what I see. I don't even recognize that person who's looking back at me. I hardly recognize him. We're deteriorating. We're dying. But Jesus died. We too shall die. Unless the Lord comes to take us first. Wouldn't that be awesome? But this is just part of the fall. Yet, the weaker we get, the stronger the Lord gets in our lives. The life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. And it is he who gets us through. Paul talks about this later in this letter. He wrote in chapter 12, 8 to 10, he said, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but we are renewed day by day. Paul goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may, all, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul doesn't lose heart as his outer nature decays, because in his weakness and his daily dying for the sake of others, God's power and the life of God's Son is glorified. And that's what Paul loves more than anything. And that attitude should be in us as well. Even though we are dying, even though we are growing weaker day by day, God's power should be manifest in us, in our lives, as we give ourselves to others. And therefore, we do not lose heart because the life of God's Son is manifested and glorified. In our decaying bodies. Now in verse 13, Paul corrals the believers together to encourage them. And he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Well here, Paul is identifying himself and all believers with the psalmist who wrote Psalm 116. That's where this came from. The psalmist, like Paul, was suffering in distress and in anguish and called upon the Lord for deliverance. Even when he was crying, I am greatly afflicted, the psalmist believed God. He believed in God and his mercy, and he believed that God would deliver him and keep his feet from stumbling. And so he glorified God for doing it. Well, likewise, Paul believed. And the Corinthian church believed. And we believe as well. For we have the same spirit of faith. Faith that was given to us by God. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you have been saved, saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And because we believe, therefore, we do not lose heart, and we are renewed day by day. And so, we also speak. In verse 14, Paul further reminds the Corinthians of this, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Well, what is this? This is the gospel message. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who put on flesh, who lived the perfect life in accordance to the law that we could never live, who died a substitutionary death for the payment of the sins of all who would believe, who satisfied the justice of God on our behalf to the point that God the Father raised Him from the dead, this Jesus who now sits at the right hand of the Father, the same Father who will one day raise us also. For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven Remember where you're going. Someday, we will enter into his presence. Someday, we will be there together, all of us who are in Christ. And therefore, we do not lose heart because it's going to be all right. Death is not the end of the story. We're going to live again, and we will live with Jesus, and we will all share in his glory forever and ever. Verse 15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Well, grace is spreading to more and more people through Paul's suffering for them. And it's causing thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And therefore, Paul says, We do not lose heart. Because in his ministry of suffering, grace is spreading to you and glory is going to God. And these two things should be our priorities. Bringing God's grace to others and bringing glory to God. Therefore, we do not lose heart and are renewed day by day. You know, I thank God when I see this manifested in the lives of the people of our church. People who give themselves for the others. People who serve, who pray, who support, and who care. And God is glorified by this love for other people. And hopefully, thanksgiving for God will increase in all of our hearts for God's grace as it's poured out in and through brothers and sisters in Christ. And now we've come again to verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul knew that he was dying. He was wasting away, and so is everybody. He experienced tremendous suffering, weakness, sickness, injuries, hardships, pressures, frustrations, and disappointments. And every one of them cost him a piece of his life. But in spite of that, his inner man was being renewed day by day. And so, he did not lose heart. Look at verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, here's another reason that, God, that Paul didn't lose heart. He looked at his affliction in comparison to the eternal glory that awaited him, and so considered it to be light in comparison. But let's take a look at some of his light affliction, which is described later in this letter. Paul wrote, In far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews... In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Could we possibly consider this light affliction? Well, Paul did. And he was able to do that by remembering where he was going and remembering the glory of God that he would see once he was there for all of eternity and this outweighed his light affliction and furthermore paul didn't lose heart because because he considered this affliction to be only momentary now that doesn't mean that it lasted only 60 seconds but that it only lasted a lifetime which is momentary compared with eternity. And so he did not lose heart and he was renewed day by day. Well, ultimately, these afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And the point is, these afflictions that we're experiencing don't just precede the glory, they help us produce glory. There's a real connection between how we endure hardship now and how much we'll be able to enjoy the glory of God in eternity. So not one moment of patient pain is wasted. And therefore, we do not lose heart. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Someday, our afflictions will end. When we finally leave this life and enter into glory... God's glory. Well, someday, brothers and sisters, we will see that holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Someday, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any anymore, for the former things have passed away. So remember where you're going, and therefore do not lose heart. Well, finally, in verse 18, Paul does not lose heart because he sets his mind on the unseen eternal glory to come. So he says in verse 18, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is an encouragement to us that we would not lose heart. Remember where you're going. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on the prize. And keep your eyes on the finish line. Have faith. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in faith, we can know that everything's going to be okay. And we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose so matter how bad things seem now know this that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And remember where you're going. Remember the power of God and the life of His Son are manifested in your weakness. Remember the life of Jesus is flowing through your suffering, into the lives of other people. Remember, God sustains you in in your afflictions, and he will not let you be destroyed. Remember, your afflictions will not have the last word, for you will rise from the dead with Jesus and with the church of God and will live forever and ever in joy. Remember, Your afflictions are momentary. They are only for now, not for the age to come. Remember, your afflictions are light. Compared to the pleasures of what is coming, they are as nothing. Remember, these afflictions are producing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'd like to close with this from a book called New Morning Mercies by David, Paul David Tripp and here he says this if there is a final glorious destination for all God's children then this time is not a destination but a preparation for a final destination there is meaning and purpose in everything we are going through in a real way God is using all the difficulties of life in this fallen world to change and mature us, making us ready for the world that is to come. But there is more for you and me to understand. It's not just that this is a time of preparation. The fact that we are guaranteed a place in the life that is to come tells us who we are and what we have been given in the here and now. Who are we? We are pilgrims on a journey with a glorious destination assured. What have we been given? Well, the guarantee of the future grace of eternity assures us that we will have all the grace we need in the present or we would never have what we need to finish the journey. So thank God that you are being prepared by grace for the paradise It is to be your forever home. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it seems so hard. Life is so hard. And yet, Lord, we must remember who we are in you. We are your children. Those who have received your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, are your children. And so, God, we belong to you. And you are here to help us with your grace, moment by moment, to get through this life. We must remember whose we are. We belong to you. Lord God, we have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are redeemed. Therefore, we belong to you. We are not ourselves. So, God, help us to remember that we belong to you in these difficult days. And Lord, we must remember where we're going. We must remember that we someday will be with you in paradise where we will behold your glory face to face. And so, Lord, let that remembrance help us daily, moment by moment, to get through these difficult days, these trials and tribulations, that we would have hope, the hope of eternal life, that we would know beyond a shadow of doubt that we are your children and that we belong to you. And may we, through these trials and tribulations, bring glory and honor to your holy name. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.